and welcome to the Common Good Podcast. The podcast that showcases the very best of Glasgow Caledonian University and explores how the institution, its staff and its research benefits people and communities, both at home and overseas. My name is Craig Telfer and on today's show I am joined by Dr Paul Baker, a lecturer in cell and molecular biology, to talk about how our Glasgow campus has become a city centre oasis and a haven for bird life. Paul, it is fantastic to have you on the show, really looking forward to talking to you today. Thank you, thanks for having me. This is a great story and I know over the past four years you've been monitoring the birds in the Glasgow campus. Could you tell me about those four years and how the campus has become a centre and a haven for bird life? Well, as the vegetation basically, I know the vegetation has been added over the last few years, and so the actual species has increased, and therefore, with an increase in species diversity of plants, you then get a corresponding increase in diversity of insects, and so more insects, more food for birds. So, as the uh, over probably through COVID, with a little less gardening as well, you get a little bit more vegetation left underneath the trees, the leaves are left alone, and it all gets more complicated. More insects means more birds, and so it becomes more interesting. Tell me about some of the species that you've monitored on the campus. Over the last couple of years, there's uh, several finches that are around. So there's goldfinch and greenfinch, which are in quite high numbers, and I was quite pleased when the greenfinch came along because I hadn't realised they were here at all. There's the other small, more common birds people have probably have heard of is great tit, blue tit, and coal tit around campus. Also more common uh, robins. And dunnocks, they're usually around on the floor. On the other scale, other end of the scale, in terms of bird sizes, there's the lesser black-backed gulls that are often on campus. And they're quite interesting to me, though some people don't see them as, uh, as should we say, people don't see them in, in such an attractive light, which I think they're really interesting birds. They, they're migratory. It's not everyone realises that you know, they, they go off to Africa for the winter and then come back to, to breed in Scotland. So they're Scotland's gulls, but they're also Africa's gulls, which I think there's not much else that of that size that does that kind of journey so i think okay they're not quite uh, giraffes but you know they're africa's <laughs> wildlife that is in glasgow city center I mean, it's, it's amazing it's amazing did it surprise you to see them pitching up in glasgow oh no they they i wasn't surprised by them um by them they they well known around uh, around glasgow but the, but the point is they they seemed over the obviously the last 20 30 years they are breeding more in city centers and obviously are less and less popular with people but that's mainly because their native habitats uh, near the sea, you know, the food sources is disappearing. So they're moving more into the cities, unfortunately, um, and obviously coming into a bit of conflict with people. But I suppose it's better to have them in the city than not have them at all. Uh, they, so um, I'm very keen on having them around. And I think people need to remember if, if they're here, they're here because there's food available. If they aren't eating it, then there's other little brown creatures that'll be eating the food. So it's, I think they're the better... The less of the two evils, shall we say. <laughs> if, if, if their presence didn't surprise you, have there any species that you have been surprised well, to see on the campus? I, I mentioned the greenfinch. I was really surprised. I, I mean, this is city centre Glasgow and it's greenfinch all over. And two weeks ago, I spotted a lesser red pole in the city centre in campus. And I was really surprised. I mean, they're a small finch that, yeah, they move through Scotland, but we're next to the bus station. I was really quite shocked to see one of them. I managed to get a very poor picture because I, I didn't think people would have believed me uh, that I'd actually seen uh, seen one of these birds. So that was definitely the first time I've seen one on campus. And I also looked online to see um, to see if anyone has recorded them or reported them in Glasgow. And no one on, on a couple of the websites uh, that report birds have ever seen one in the city centre. They're seen in the gardens, you know, in the suburbs, but not, not city centre. So it was definitely um, a first um, in the records for, for that bird. 
You mentioned there about one of the good things about the birds being on campus is they are eating food that rats might perhaps eat, and you'd much rather have birds eating it than rats. <laughs> but what are the what are some of the other benefits about having this wildlife on the campus? Well, I mean, there's different levels of that. I think so. In terms of on a simple level, if a nice blue, red, yellow bird flies past, it's quite nice to see some nice, attractive, colourful, colourful animals. On a deeper level, I think I always feel better for going out and doing some bird watching. Clears your head, focus. Focus on the moment, enjoy seeing some some nature. And I think obviously being out with the plants is quite nice. You know, plants smell nice, but the birds are, are doing stuff. They're interesting. They've, they've got activities. And people always need to remember these birds are individuals. They're not just all sparrows are the same, all robins are the same, all greenies are the same. No, no, they're all individuals. There's clever ones, there's less clever ones, should we say? There's adventurous, there's intelligent ones. They're all doing different things. Some are more wary than others. And so once you start watching them, you then realise that they're all doing the, and their behaviours that they carry out are all unique as well. They're not all doing the same thing. They've all got their different strategies for survival. And so once you pay a bit more attention, you then realise that different birds do different things, like things like dunnocks. You very rarely see them fly much more than tree, tree heights. I mean, they might go maybe 10 feet off the ground, but you, know, you never see a dunnock at the top of a, of a high tree, while the, the finches are all spending their time up at the top of trees. Um, robins are often on the ground, dunnocks are often on the ground. In terms of intelligence, like when I'm catching the birds, dunnocks tend to often be the bird that you catch the same bird in the same place 10 minutes apart. Then I don't, they don't always come across as the most intelligent, while house sparrows, which we don't unfortunately have any on campus, they are definitely a bit more wary and they've got a bit more about them than you might think. They You don't catch them twice, almost never. They're, they're, they're well known as a species that's difficult to monitor by ringing because you don't catch them twice. Um, so I carry out a project in Partick with them, and what I do there is to colouring them, and that's uh, meant to facilitate, you don't have to see them again, you just need to look at the colour combination on their legs, and then you can recognise the individuals by looking at that. The problem I have in Partick is I've obviously been doing this for too long, and so the birds actually appear to recognise me now. And so when <laughs> I So when I arrive in the street, they will either sit lower in the bush, and so I can't see any legs, or they will just fly up to the gutter, which is quite high, and fly away. And I've done a few experiments with people. I've had other people walk up to the bushes, right up to them, and the bears have been happily sat, sat where they are and actually fly in while this person's standing next to them. And then I've walked towards them, and the birds have all flown away. So this project is proving to be tricky at the moment. <laughs> I didn't realise that birds had that sort of capacity, that, that degree of familiarity that where if they if they saw the, the, the same person like several times, they'd perhaps become wary from them. Is, is that the case then? Oh, definitely, yeah. Gulls seem to... The, this, I've got a similar problem in Victoria Park where I catch gulls there. I can pretty much, if I walk in with my bag of poles for the net, approach the pond and the birds see me, I can clear the entire pond of maybe two or three hundred gulls. <laughs> and I'm not exaggerating. If anyone wants to come along, they can come and see it. And they will fly away for maybe an hour. What they seem to do is to go up and just ha- fly around in the sky. They don't go to the parks. My ringing has shown that they are quite sight faithful. Um, they will eventually start coming back. But I've had people try and throw bread for me, but they seem to associate this other person who may have been talking to me with me and they don't go near them they'll take bread from someone maybe 50 meters away but they won't come near me i'm convinced the gulls recognize me now and they obviously alarm but one or two of them must recognize me they alarm and then they they won't come near me so again that project i'm having a bit of trouble with and i was also going to say about the intelligence of some of the birds an example of that was in my garden i had a trap to catch the sparrows 
again, because the mist nets were an issue, I had a little bird cage with some mealworms in. So a couple of sparrows went in, enjoyed the mealworms, came out, go in again. This time I closed the door on the fishing line, catch the bird, put the ring on the bird. Obviously, I don't want to catch them again. So birds start going in and out, and I'm waiting for a new bird to come in. A couple of more sparrows come up that aren't ringed. I know these are new. They see this bird cage and go, that's a trap. Absolutely nowhere am I going. <laughs> but they clearly are really interested in having the mealworms. They really want the mealworms. So they waited until some dunnocks came along, who were, again, I'd ring them already, so they went in and out. And so the sparrows waited on the outside. When the dunnocks came out with the mealworms in their beaks, the sparrows jumped on the dunnocks and stole the mealworms from them. See, once you start ringing them, you then see that they aren't the same birds. You've got, obviously, clearly you might think the less intelligent ones didn't recognize it as a trap, but the intelligent ones went, that's a trap. And then went, how do we get around this? Let's do some thieving from, from these <laughs> dunnocks. So yeah, they definitely, they're cleverer than you think and they're thinking. And so again, it's, so by watching them, you learn mm-hmm. more about them and, and it's, it's a great fun. You've got, and obviously to catch the birds, you need to think, you know, what do I need? I need to think bird. What's, what's that bird thinking when it sees something? How, how will it respond? And, and so that's a different level of enjoyment mm-hmm. uh, for me. So yeah, so, but in terms of species on campus, I think going out, seeing them, watching the behavior, spending time out there, it's quite peaceful. Again, it, Oasis is not an exaggeration, it's Oasis of silence. When the trees get the leaves on, the garden at the front next to the uh, transport police will be really quite quiet, apart from the bird song at the moment. It's, it's really um, increasing in volume at the moment. There's a lot, lot going on out there. It's brilliant to hear you how passionately talk about this. Where did this all come from? Where did your passion for ornithology begin? Well, I've, I've definitely always been interested in nature and wildlife since I was definitely at infant school. So five and six, I remember walking through the park with all my books, trying to recognize stuff. Unfortunately, the books I took were American books, so absolutely no species in the book <laughs> <laughs> was in the park. <laughs> so I only realized that so quite a few years later, like why I couldn't find anything. So then, uh, yeah, definitely visiting bird places was always nice, but lived in Liverpool, so not a lot of bird life in the center of Liverpool. I then got to university studying biology, and that's when I met some really passionate bird watchers um, who were 10 times better than I am now at um, recognizing species. They're amazing ornithologists. They introduced me to something called twitching. So people have heard of twitching, but they sometimes the definition is not understood completely. Twitching is not bird watching. Twitching is basically you hear there's a rare bird somewhere. I, there might be a bird in Cornwall, which has just landed. Maybe it's an American cuckoo, which would be really nice to see. Yellow-billed cuckoo, black-billed cuckoo. And the idea is basically we, it's not, okay, we just say, okay, when are we leaving? Okay, 15 minutes? Yeah, let's go. You know, as soon as possible, we need to start driving now because we need to get there tomorrow morning before the bird has time to leave. So we need to go now. So it's that kind of driving. Obviously, I was in London, then I would drive to Scotland, drive to North Wales, drop a hat. Obviously, you've got a group of passionate people who are very keen to get there. There's a race aspect, um, but also to see some of these birds, which in those days, the the chance of going to America to bird watch were zero. So you'd only ever see these if they came like this. But the imperative to get there is because like things like cuckoos, unfortunately, because they usually come in the autumn and there's no food, they really will starve to death in the next two days. So there is, you've got to get, if you want to see this bird, you've got to get there now. And then you would arrive and then maybe five, 600 people who are all doing the same thing. Uh, so it's very exciting yeah. um, um, for it. But obviously the other side is to just normally enjoy local birds, which is what you do the rest of the time. But the twitching thing got me. And also take you to amazing places around Britain where you would never think of going. Because birds, obviously they arrive, it might well be a rubbish dump. And there's no way you would drive 500 miles to go and see a rubbish dump. But if there's a bird sitting there from America or Asia, you might well 
drive 500 miles. What's the most impressive bird you've seen? Do you have a favourite of the birds that you've spotted? In Britain or around the world? Well, just, just, just well, we'll oh, go, well, we'll start with, give me, give me Britain and then tell me okay. uh, other places. Well, probably, what well, I remember we found, we, I, it was a, I'd driven from London to Cairngorm to look for long-tailed tit. And we heard that a bird had been turned up on Anglesey. So we promptly at seven o'clock went, we need to get to Anglesey now from Cairngorm. So we drove through the night by Liverpool to Anglesey, to South Stack on Anglesey, to see something called a black lark. And they're a Central Asian species. So this bird was, is from Siberia kind of area. And this thing was first for Britain. So that was quite, it, I mean, it's a, it's a black bird that looks like a black bird. But when you know what it is, how far it's come, it's, it's quite, quite exciting. I didn't see this bird, but a couple of years ago on Orkney, at the Bird Observatory on North Ronsay, they had um, a blue robin that should have been wintering in Thailand, usually lives in Russia, north of China, but it's in Scotland. I mean, these journeys are incredible. Um, and obviously there's the albatross that's seen at the moment, seen once a year, at the moment in Bempton Cliffs in Lancashire, in, in Yorkshire. So that's quite exciting. But that could be the same individual that was seen in 1969 in the top of Scotland. That There's no reason why it can't be the same individual, same species. No one's ever caught it and they can live 60 years. So apart from how long this bird has lived, the journey has been on, you know, obviously it was potentially circling Antarctica, potentially in the 60s. And then now it's in Britain. It's quite amazing. In terms of, well, everyone who knows me has heard this story in Australia, I, I we were out looking for cassowaries. So I don't know if you've heard of them. They're, no. they're the size of, sort of, they're not as big as ostriches, uh, but they're sort of size in terms of emus. But they're well known because they, one, are a, bit, a little bit aggressive during the breeding season, but they also have quite a pointy three-inch claw, pointy claw, which they use to stab things with. They sort of jump up and kick, kick things. Um, so we went out looking for one of these in some woods um, in Australia. And um, let's just say we found one. It, it then promptly started, well, it started chasing us after we saw it and decided to get away from it. But it started chasing us through the woods. It chased us three or four, three or four minutes, we say, we stopped. It then, we then saw it coming through. To say Jurassic Park came to, to, to mind is, is no exaggeration. It then proceeded to chase us. So we ran uh, into um, a jogger. She was wearing earphones. I uh, subsequently realized, which is why she didn't really respond very well when we said, oh, there's a really angry cassowary coming down the path. And she just looked at us, is what we're talking about. And so we then carried on running. Saying, well, she isn't going to run, we're running. <laughs> we're getting out of here. So we then went, oh, this, a couple of seconds later, we then thought, oh, she must have met this cassowary. We, and then we suddenly heard, help, help. <laughs> and we looked at each other and went, oh, we've got to go back. We've got to go back. So we ran back. And there, at the other side of this clearing, is this jogger with a cassowary pecking the top of their head. And she's just, her head's just getting lower and lower and lower. And we, we looked at each other and went, this is, this is just crazy. So because they, they had been reports of these birds um, killing people, and a 14-year-old had been killed relatively recently by these birds. So yeah, we're not mucking about here. <laughs> so we started shouting and clapping, and the bird looked at us and then ran at us again. So it's now it's our problem again. We then ran on. <laughs> And ran on for another five minutes, ten minutes, five minutes, ten minutes, um, and we got out of the park, and we got we got to the warden of the reserve place, and we said, "Oh, there's got a bit of problem in there with the bird." And they said, "Oh yeah, we've heard. Yeah, one's a bit frisky, frisky today." <laughs> was again, frisky, <laughs> understatement. So, because obviously we're both bird watchers, and we're both running for our lives away from a bird, going, "This is." Is this the way we wanted to go? I don't. I don't know if it is actually. <laughs> so that was that was probably the most exciting. Um, Exciting trip. <laughs> but 
bad experience I've ever had. How are you able to then bring this passion into Glasgow Caledonia University then? After a few years in living in Glasgow, I met someone who was a bedringer and I was able to become trained in bedringing. So I was able to now monitor populations in Glasgow that's pretty much no one else is doing. The University of Glasgow does do some monitoring, but I'm going into parks and into rubbishy areas, tips and stuff, trying to catch birds. So you can actually find out what birds are around. Being able to hold them in your hand and see them close up is a, is a different sort of angle on um, experience in the life of the birds. So I brought that to campus, and that means I can not only see the birds that are on campus, but because I can ring them, I can turn them into individuals, and that means you can then monitor numbers and how long they live. Some birds don't live very long, obviously. Sometimes ones that aren't very clever, unfortunate and unlucky, they only live a year, while other birds can live a lot longer. So some, I think the record for house sparrow, you know, the average is maybe four or five years, but some live 10, 12 years. I was in Kelvin Grove Park in the winter. We were catching blue tits uh, for a project and we caught a tree creeper. I had been ringing tree creepers in 2015 in another part of Kelvin Grove Park. And when the ring was read out, because it was already ringed, it turned out it was one of mine. So it's that is now actually the oldest tree creeper in Scotland at six years, six months and 21 days. So you can't get that kind of detail from just seeing the birds fly past. So the ringing is just a different level of detail and excitement for me because you never know. These are, uh, and another aspect is catching seabirds. We caught a fulmer on sander, which is off the Mullican tire. Again, it, you can't tell birds by how they look. They, they're either young or an adult. So this bird is a fulmer, already had a ring on it. The ring didn't look too old, read the ring number, off it went to the British Trust for Ontology. They then come back and ask some more questions about it. And it turned out it was the oldest fulmer in Scotland at 41 years. It'd been ringed in 1977. So it's incredible. This is another 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 world on, on the lives of birds, which you think, oh, it's only a bird. Be dead in a month, dead in a couple of years, no big deal. No, 40 years. I mean, that's it's incredible. You know, it's older than lots of people. So yeah, I I did not realize that birds lived as, as long as that. But how has bird life on the campus changed over the past four years, Paul? Have you noticed any big differences? Over I definitely think over the last couple of years, things have definitely improved as the habitat has become more complex. I think the number of birds using campus have, have increased. I, I wasn't doing a huge amount of detail monitoring in the first two years, but I was ringing in 2019 and 2020 and we're definitely catching. I never definitely never caught any greenfinch or goldfinch at, at the beginning. It was mainly only blue tit and coal tit and great tit. So definitely birds are increasing. And I, as I said, I didn't, I'd never seen red pole in the city centre at all. How does the bird life in the GCU campus, how does that compare to other green spaces in Glasgow that you've monitored? I think uh, Caledonian is, is, is one of the top ones because I think because we've got such a complicated group of plants here and cover and uh, habitat, this is good. Uh, there's uh, St. Mungo's over the other side of Hanover Street. That's got trees and grass and it has blue tit boxes in there and it has blue tits and great tits, but it doesn't have any of the other species. It doesn't have the finches because they... These birds don't nest in boxes. They need, they need trees and bushes. They don't want just a tree. They need smaller trees um, and more cover. And so there's, yeah, there's patches around Glasgow, but I think GCU definitely has the most. In the city centre, absolutely. There's nothing, nothing uh, no comparison to it. And if obviously in derelict sites within the city, they do start developing, but usually they're not around for more than two or three years. So that, again, the vegetation never gets a chance to mature. And then as soon as it does mature, 
it's it's cleared away. So a GCU campus definitely is one of the top spots in the city centre for birds. What do we need to do to make sure that we maintain these numbers and perhaps attract other species onto the campus? Well, what I've been trying to do, which I, I, I must have mentioned, I've been putting the bird boxes onto campus. So we now have 23 uh, blue tip boxes on campus. We've got two starling boxes, which don't have anything in yet. Today, just put in tree creeper box. It's an experimental sort of design. So I've never actually seen tree creepers on campus, but that's the point. Put the box and the beds, if they fly past, oh, that looks nice. We'll go in there. Tree creepers usually nest pretty much in broken bark on the side of a tree. So you need to have quite an old tree, which is slightly damaged. So it's quite a niche sort of habitat they need. Literally, definition of niche. So we don't have any trees as old as that. So this box hopefully will, uh, if one flies into campus, it'll see it. Well, hopefully two will come and they will breed there. We've also put how long has it been, a month or so, we've put a peregrine box on top of the uh, Hamish Wood building. We are situated between three pairs of peregrines. So there are, is it, I think there's a reasonably good chance we'll get something. You know, there's birds that nest on the University of Glasgow's lantern. There's birds, peregrines nesting on the cathedral, and there are some on the Finiston Crane. So we're sitting between three habitats. There's a huge amount of pigeons outside. So We've got a house now. We've got a supply of potential residents. We've got lots of food around. I don't see why they're not already here, but they're not here, unfortunately. But I think they they are. It's on the cards. We will get some of these beds in it uh, as soon as as soon. I would say, if I can get some more nest box designs, I will try and make them and we'll put them up. There's no, there's not really space for any more blue tit or grey tit boxes on campus because they need about seven about 25 meters between each box. So 23 is sort of, that's as many as you need of that. I'm also trying to encourage sort of making sure areas are not cleaned too much. Cause as I said, some birds don't read in boxes. So you have to sort of create the habitat and the understory around. So as soon as I find some more boxes, I've got a book on them. I'm going through and what is likely to be appropriate. As we mentioned at the top of the show, Paul, you're a lecturer in cell and molecular biology. Could you tell us a little about the, the day job? Well, I teach mainly biomedical students, first, third and fourth years, molecular and cell biology. I enjoy teaching project students I have in fourth year. What we're looking at is ticks that I collect from either people's pets or from wildlife, sometimes hedgehogs often, but also birds that sometimes friends or I catch that have ticks on them. What we then do is to try and identify the species of the tick using molecular methods and then also look to see what bacterial pathogens these ticks might be carrying. The most well-known, of course, is Lyme disease, but there are other types of bacteria and viruses that can actually be found inside the ticks. And the idea is we can look for the next up-and-coming pathogen that might start to infect people. Often with ticks, people find bacteria, this is globally, people find bacteria in the ticks, and then they actually find out much later, several years later, that actually causes human disease, that disease that no one knew what it was caused by, could well be a tick-borne infection. And so it's quite enjoyable in that, you know, it's in this, it, I think it's the, obviously it's maybe it's my passion, it's the search for the new disease, search for the bird. It, maybe it's my character to hunt things out. <laughs> How can other members then of the GCU community get involved and help you in recording the bird life on campus? Well, they can obviously, if they see something, it will be good if they note it down and they can obviously for themselves, they could note down what they see and then just let send me a list of what they've seen where. But a probably more productive and useful way of doing it is to download an app called BirdTrack. This is a British Trust for Ornithology app. 
and it allows you to just make a site of where we are, GCU campus, and then to note down, if you walk into campus and you see two goldfinch, you just type in goldfinch, two goldfinch, and it records obviously when and where you saw them, and then it will upload them to the database. It then means I could go in online and then search to see what birds have been seen on campus and when. And obviously that tells us I'm there's something that might be new and I didn't know it was there, or you know, it might show that you know finches are only seen on campus during the spring and summer, and then they all go. You know, it's not because not everyone can obviously look every day of the year, but it a picture, pictureable image of what birds are on campus, how many and where about they're seen. At the moment, as I said, the nest boxes are starting to get occupied. We've got at least one full complete nest on one of the next boxes already. And I anticipate that there'll be eggs in there in the next few days because the, the nest is full and it's, the nest is lined. Uh, so there's blue tits who were, let's just say, when I was having a look at it the other day, were chirping in chirping their displeasure at my interfering with the box. <laughs> so, and there's at least another, I think, six boxes have actually got some signs of nest building in them as well. So this is definitely up. In terms of improving, last year we only had two nests and two clutches. Definitely there's at least six on the way uh, this year. So things are definitely uh, looking up. And also people can, just to keep your eye out, the gold the goldfinch actually breed on campus as well. I was just going to say about what species breed on campus. Goldfinch breed on campus, but they don't use boxes. What they're looking for is a, a branch with three prongs, and then they'll build this nest of feathers on the prong. And there's also a nest of uh, jackdaws building a nest on one of the campus buildings as well. So birds are not just living here, they're breeding, they are breeding here. And I'm trying to find some of these nests is a bit more tricky, but they're definitely here. And so if anyone sees anything, and also I said, just give me an email or use the bird track and note it down. One thing I forgot to mention um, was that I will be definitely doing a bird ringing demonstration at some point, probably at the end of April at least. Um, and so if people are interested, they can get in touch and let me know and I will, I will tell them where and when it is. It's weather dependent, so it can't be fixed on a day, but it'll be in the morning, 100%. Um, and so they can see some of the beds close up that we've got on campus and obviously up uh, and I'll send a little report of what we catch even if people can't come and some photographs that's what I'll do excellent well Paul thank you so much for your time today pleasure that's no, great thank you I would like to thank everyone for listening to today's show and I hope you'll join us again next time we'll be chatting with another member of the GCU community in the meantime can I politely ask you to subscribe to this podcast you'll find us on Apple Podcasts Spotify and all other reputable retailers If you could also leave us a five-star review while you're at it, that would be hugely appreciated. Until the next time, I've been Craig Telfer, and this has been The Common Good Podcast. Mm